an A&E original podcast. I can remember riding in that OJ, right? Like I'm sitting in the back and he's sitting in the front. He leaning to the curb. He dipping through the streets of New York City, riding on the curbs while playing the music. We all swerving. It didn't matter who was in the car. We all swerving. And then he get us to the place where we needed to be in good condition. Like no other car service that you could even imagine. They were the drivers for young hip hop. That was MC Shah Rock, first female rapper breaking down the importance of the OJ car service, a luxury automobile service in the New York City boroughs and an experience that represents much more than just a car service, but a historical moment in time and the foundation of hip hop music and culture. There was Godfather car service, Touch of Class, and a few others, but OJ was the best and most reliable. Most of the drug dealers who could afford to put a car on hold for hours had them on lock. But for those of us that just wanted to make music for the people to jump out of one at a block party or high school with a dope hip-hop tape booming out of it was special. In this episode, we explore the OJ car service and its origin in hip-hop. Who am I? Born Curtis Brown, but better known as Grandmaster Cass or Casanova Fly. I'm a DJ, MC, and a member of the legendary Cold Crush Brothers. And I know my hip-hop like the blood that runs through my veins. Born in the Bronx, raised in the streets from coast to coast and worldwide. These are the stories, the moments in time, the places and faces, the origins of hip-hop. Hosted by me, Grandmaster Cass. Now, let me tell you a little more about myself. I'm a Bronx and I don't beg your pardon. I was 12 or 13 when hip pop was starting. I helped lay the cement, and when the concrete hardened, I watch it all grow out this concrete garden. I put it in around the world, son, as well as the hood. I put the BX on the map and repped as well as I could. And I ain't visiting no chick. I got keys. I'm a resident. I ain't no client. I'm the Bronx Borough president. I'm not hard to find. I'm right by the zoo, by the gorilla cage. Holla at me, yo. Ooh, ooh. Let me give you some history. The Bronx had just been cut in half by a massive expressway, finally completed in the mid-70s. South Bronx, predominantly black and Puerto Rican, was subject to insidious redlining practices. Real estate values plummeted and massive public housing projects sprang up. New York City was also hundreds of million dollars in debt. Ed Koch became the mayor in 79, pushing austerity measures. Public services was reduced, including firefighters, police, and EMTs. The subways were rendered unreliable and unsafe, and all this paved the way for the rise of the car service. Davey D, Davey D. Cook. Most people know me for my journalism, you know, I DJ. I can't say MC in front of Kaz, because Kaz was the MC, but I was an MC, you know, back in the days. It was a rough point in time from a socio-political context and for new cultural reasons that hadn't been seen before in those areas. You know, the Bronx is large, so it's like, this is where we live, this is home, right? And you're not thinking about, hey, you know, our parents can't get a loan for a house. What do I know about that? You know, what am I thinking? It's like, we live where we live and we're happy with what's going on. The thing that touched us and I'll say this emphatically, 
and underscored was racism. We had to deal with folks who did not like us and once you left the confines of your neighborhood. So I was hearing the N-word, I was being chased. You know, we're talking about a young age. Um, there were nights that when we went out and we might have been literally 50 to 100 deep and would have to deal with racial animosity. So that was a, a thing. And how it boiled down was, again, if you wanted to take a cab from Manhattan into the Bronx, they weren't going. That was something that was absolutely not happening. So it opened up for people to create their own systems. Let's get into what was known locally as the Gypsy Cab. To give perspective to the OJ car service, there's a couple of things that you have to keep in mind that many of us who lived in the Bronx and outside of Manhattan were not able to have access to regular cabs. I mean, first of all, they just didn't really frequent the neighborhoods. And if you were downtown, um, they didn't come up to the Bronx. It was, uh, you know, a lot of uh, racism as far as I was concerned. So around my neighborhood, which was in Soundview, we had these gypsy cabs. These were people, before there was Lyft and Uber, there were people that traveled along the bus routes. They would pick us up for a dollar and you just sat in there with a bunch of people. You didn't know who they were and they pretty much took you along the, the bus route. So I lived along Story Avenue and I would get picked up from Hunts Point. You absolutely had to take a car or bus there. And it was easier to do it with those uh, ride shares. You know, the gypsy cabs is what we called them. And I say all that to note that the idea of having a car service was not going to be foreign on people, that people were kind of acclimated to that because in those gypsy cabs, they played music, you know, and everything else. Now, they didn't play the hip-hop tapes that you would hear in the OJ service, but the idea of getting into a car and driving around, you know, from place to place was not unheard of. And of course, once the OJs were kicked in, those who had money and wanted to floss, that was the next level of doing that, to, you know, having your own limousine or car service way before some of the things that are existing now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You got to understand that if you live in a hood, a limousine or a yellow cab was pretty much out of the realm of possibilities unless you were lucky or had a few dollars. So we needed gypsy cabs. That was our way to get around. And then eventually luxury car services, which took the place of a limousine and the uh, gypsy cab took the place of a yellow cab. You know what? You know, let me pay this dollar. It's, it's cold outside. I'm not waiting for a bus and they'll take me straight home and drive along the bus route. 
If you wanted to be fly, you didn't have to worry about maybe trying to get a limousine and, you know, go through all, you know, let me just get this car service and we can do it that way. So, again, racism and isolation. People just looking at the Bronx as being a place that was desolate. There was no reason for you to come to the Bronx um, unless you, you know, were doing business or you had a family member there. People just didn't go say, you know what, let's go to the Bronx and see what it's like. Maybe to go to the Bronx Zoo. That's about it. So it wasn't really a destination place. So we were isolated. And I'll just say that racism was prevalent in New York at that time when you moved to the boroughs, when you were in the boroughs. You were very much aware of who you were. And folks weren't going to service us, so we were going to have our own services. We were going to have our own entities to take care of us. And that was one of them, the car services. In addition to classic livery vehicles, some car services forged partnerships with private owners. They charged 25 bucks an hour and would take you anywhere in the five boroughs. The drivers split the fare with the company, and this business model is what set OJ Car Services apart some 40 years before anybody knew the word Uber. I mean, calling the OJ was a viable alternative for us, man. Who wants to get on the train? Who wants to get on the bus, take public transportation? And black people in Puerto Rican trying to catch a yellow cab in New York City or Manhattan was ridiculous. But you can always depend on an OJ. I sat down with my homegirl, MC Sharat, the first female MC, to talk about this thing, this unique moment in time and the unduplicable element that existed way back when. Back in the 70s, you know, and, and especially in the early 80s, a lot of us young hip-hoppers didn't have cars. Our form of transportation was either the bus, you know, the MTA subway system, you know, or just bikes or mopeds. You know, that's what we did. And so when you talk about the OJs, they're for young teenagers and they're for uh, celebrity status as well. They were the ones who help us get our name known around New York City and for people to be able to hear our voices. And at the same time, we were able to live the style and, and, and show the style of luxury transportation without really having the money to pay for it. Right, without having luxury transportation. Right, right, you know, but we did it. We found that $25, we found that money, we got it from whatever little bit of uh, money that we made from our shows that we, we gave back then. If we made $25 or $30, then guess what? If we didn't want to get on that train, we was taking an OJ to drive us home to where we needed to go. Yeah, and we started to integrate that into our price. I know we did. Like, yo, we need transportation, okay? We need it. We're going to call an OJ. You know what I mean? We're gonna, we need it for a couple of hours, certain amount of hours, so we would get that amount of money to True. take care of our transportation before we moved up to limousines. Yes. Okay, because if OJs, we, if it was a crew of y'all, y'all needed two cars. Exactly. You got to call 100NDC. Right. You know what I mean? Which was car 98. Yeah. Right, because it was only one that could fit in the front and three in exactly. the back. All right, now let's get behind the wheel. Lincoln Town Cars, Park Avenues, Buick Electra Deuce and a Quarters, the coveted Oldsmobile 98 were all typical offerings from the popular car services. Some even had Cadillacs and Bentleys. 
These top-tier services, such as Godfather and Touch of Class, were well-established in the game. But in this brave new hip-hop era, it became more about who was driving you than what they were driving. And that's where OJ had the edge. Exactly. The relationships that you had between the drivers, it wasn't, you didn't have to call a base after a while. You can you call them on their phone. That's right. You can call them on their cell phone or beep them. Okay, because that's when beepers was back then. You that's page right. um, uh, your driver with a certain code, they know that's you. That means come pick you. me up at such and such and such or whatever, whatever. And that was that was the dopest thing about it. You had their personal phone numbers. You know what exactly. I mean? You knew their names. They knew each other, and they would, like, big you up to the other driver. Yo, I just had shot rock in the car. Show you know it. what I mean? We went to the such and such and such. Now you got the other driver open. So mm-hmm. now if your driver ain't there... When you call the base, they'd be like, well, who you got available? That's right. And they'll tell you, well, 9-8 exactly. is here, um, so, so-and-so, car one, such-and-such is here. Which one is that? Is that the blue caddy? Yeah, let me get that blue caddy. Yeah, let me get that. The OJ drivers were identified by their numbers and soon became part of Bronx lore. Some were even immortalized in lyrics. One Double O was perhaps the most famous. Not only did he get a shout out on Super Rapping, he was among the first to play Grandmaster Flash mixtapes in his car. And this became a fundamental part of the OJ experience. Man, I remember my first time riding in an OJ. First of all, the, the greatest thing about it was I had the money to pay for it. Okay, I had the ability to hire an OJ car for more than an hour to take me somewhere. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is just riding around in a luxury car as opposed to a taxi. You tell him one place and he takes you one place. No, this guy's going to take you here. He's going to wait for you to go and shop or come out or get your girl. Come out, then he's going to take you to your next destination. You can just go on Fordham Road and pull over and just stand outside the car and talk to people in front, in front of the car. You know what I mean? That's what it afforded you, and that's that was the best memories. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. People to really understand Kaz, Flash, Theodore, they were superstars. That was our superstars. That was the creme de la creme. That was the, the top notch. We weren't thinking about 
artists that you hear on the radio. So if Anita Ward, who did the song Ring My Bells, came to town, that wasn't going to be like, oh my gosh, she's in town. Um, if it was Cameo or, or even George Clinton and them, if they came to town for, for our perspective, it wouldn't be the thing like, oh my gosh, we got to go see them. If you said Baron Breakout or Shaw Rock was around the way, then that was a big deal. It was like, that's what I'm going to check out. And so if they showed up in the Flyers gear or they showed up in a limo, which would have been the OJ, then that would have been almost expected. Like, of course they're going to drive around an OJ. That's Shaw Rock. That's how you kind of looked at it. The OJ car service had this vibe. This thing where people would see each other, spot each other from across the street, getting in and out of these vehicles, moving around the city, doing our thing. Those nods across the street or even the little smallest moments where we spot each other during that time, those were the fundamental moments. No socials, no texts, no phones, no nothing. Just a nod across the street whilst exiting a luxurious vehicle that we all remember with the purest of nostalgia. When you come out of a party, of a hip-hop party, and we're talking the 70s, you could have badass cars just lined up outside of the party. Bad cars just lined up. Everybody waiting to get in the OJ. So even if you didn't have your, your favorite driver out there, the OJ drivers will come to the party that was kicking. Sometimes it could be two or three parties kicking at the time. From the fever, you know, to our party, to a Cold Crush party, to a Grandmaster of Flash and the Furious Five parties. But they would be lined up. Exactly. They knew. Because they knew where everybody was at that time. Yeah, they knew. And not only the performers, but you're talking about the people who went to the parties. We're talking yes. about the audience, the fly guys, the fly they girls. Money. You know what I mean? It was a whole different, you know, e each section of people. Like, there was so many different variants of people, to, and they all gravitated toward that convenience of being able to have a luxury car, call a luxury car. Exactly. The tapes. The OJ drivers figured it out fast. We just came on board with them because once again, at the time, we didn't know that it was all about marketing, you know, but they did. And they didn't play everybody's cassette tapes in their cars. It was only certain groups that were the prominent groups in New York City that they would play their cassette tapes. They had it figured out. If I ever got into an OJ car and there was some cassette that they was playing, some old whack, I'd be like, yo, what the fuck was that, man? Come on, take that out here. Put this in. Exactly. Here, put this in, man. Yeah. And and that that set a standard for the drivers. So they had to have the, the top-notch, the, the upper echelon of hip-hop groups in there. They would lose out on money like that. Right, you know? so they played the best of the best. Word. Outside of live shows, mixtapes were the engine of hip-hop evolution in the Bronx. Grandmaster Flash would charge hundreds of dollars for his custom Flash tapes, but he gave them out to a select few drivers who were on the level. These enterprising OJ drivers would stake their reputation and business on the music experience that they alone could provide. Beyond that, they were seeding the sounds of hip-hop beyond the Bronx. Many credit the OJ car service with introducing their music to the other five boroughs. As the drivers became more ingrained in the hip-hop scene, their promotional role expanded. Some would be paid to distribute flyers for live shows around the city. They were the ambassadors of hip-hop. 
The tapes that I would give them at first was my own personal mixtapes that I made at home. My practice tape, my breakbeat tapes, because the drivers loved the breakbeats. They, they didn't hear that on the radio. They could only hear that at a hip-hop jam. And if they're driving around, you needed a cassette tape. So I would sell them breakbeat tapes or live tapes of our shows. And um, that became kind of commonplace and kind of blew up the drivers themselves. Whoever had the hottest tape, that's the car you was calling. You know what I mean? Yo, you got that flash, you knew you got that, all right, I'm coming. Or you bring your own tape, tell them, yo, pop that in, type thing. And the tapes became kind of like a trade bait for rides. I mean, if you had a cassette tape, you can get a ride a half hour <laughs> or an hour, depending on how dope the tape and how much the driver wanted it, in trade, actually. Or you could make money off of them. If you had your own bread, like I would have drivers calling me, like, yo, I need I need a new this, I need a new that. And um, I would get a ride and the money from the tape. So it ended up being a pretty cool system that we worked out. The end of an era. The car services were also pulled into the drug scene. Dealers, enforcers, even petty criminals would use them to get around and maintain some level of anonymity. The crack epidemic caused two types of addiction in the 80s. There was an addiction that people had to smoking the drug, and there was the addiction that people had in selling the drug. There was people who were coming out of extreme forms of poverty and desolation, and crack was an answer to it, the selling of it, putting money in your pocket. Crack was a way in which people were able to, if you wanted to sell tapes, at least where I was at, the people who had money were going to be the dealers and, and, and folks that were dabbling in that. So they were the ones that could, you know, put money in the pocket. And then pretty soon you saw an entire ecosystem that was centered around crack. And the, um, the material manifestations that would indicate that you were somehow making it. The crack era, the crack epidemic, whatever you want to call it, crack, it changed everything. And it's hard to even imagine the ripples and butterfly effects we've seen since. But the crack era and that time and place changed everything for the Bronx. The boroughs and the luxury car service model. I even had my own life changed by crack, which we'll address in another episode. But it changed everything for the community and the communities it affected. I'll tell you a story that I'll never forget. It was, I want to say maybe 84, 85, I was in Harlem. And my godmother goes, I want you to tell me what you see on this corner. It was, it was up on, I want to say it was not Riverside Drive. It had to be probably Broadway or something like that, or Amsterdam Avenue. And she said, what do you see? About 148th Street, I believe. And I was like, I see black people, I see Puerto Rican people. And she kept asking me, but what else do you see? I said, I see cars, I see cabs, I see this. She said, what do you see on the corners? So I looked on the corners and I go, I see clothing stores. I see an accountant said, there's four clothing stores. And she goes, what kind of clothing stores are they? And I looked and I said, oh, wow, okay, they, they sell, you know, designer jeans. And at that time, they had these little Argyle sweaters that Bill Cosby made famous. So they were pretty expensive. And she goes to me, she goes, 
How are we in the middle of Harlem in this neighborhood and you have not one but four stores that are selling jeans and sweaters that cost more than $100? What is going on that they would be comfortable enough to open up these stores in a neighborhood like this? And I was looking and then she said, because, you know, they're catering to a population that, um, that is fueled by drug money. And I'll never forget that. And then it hit me. It's like, wow, so this, this neighborhood is, is fueled by drug money. This is, this is what's allowing people to get these expensive clothes and for these stores to feel no problem in opening up. Not one, but four of them. So, you know, the, the ecosystem of the crack era um, was something that you couldn't ignore and you have to do further exploration from coast to coast. It had long-lasting, devastating effects. It had short-term gain, and it created an ecosystem that gave, I think, its participants some short-term gain and the establishment long-term gain. That's where the prisons were built. That's where police were able to get new equipment. That's where all this other stuff um, came up. And, you know, and, and when they say crime pays, it was paying a whole lot of people's bills from Congress to police unions, on down. So, you know, we can do a whole show on that. When crack hit the streets in the mid-80s, OJ drivers paid a heavy price. Some were directly involved in the game, but the mere fact that they often carried large amounts of cash made them prime targets, and many lost their lives. Taxis wouldn't let nobody sit in the front of the car. Yeah. Okay, you couldn't sit next to the driver in a yellow cab. You know why, right? Yeah, they was robbing them. There you go. Stick up they kids. Was we them. had That's those why. back in the days, right? So they were like, no, nope, you And a few OJs got robbed as well after a while. You know, they started getting the hip to the fact that these cats driving around all day picking up people, they got they going to have a few dollars on them. Exactly. And so, yeah, that became a little detriment after a while and helped kind of end, end the OJ uh, regime. Word. The vibe. Hip-hop is many things, but most of all, it's a feeling. Riding in a luxury car, bumping mixtapes, rolling up to the block party on a warm summer night. It's a vibe, one that's truly ingrained in the hip-hop culture. And that vibe was born in the back seat of an OJ car on a warm summer night in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hip-hop for me, and, and again, I tell people, didn't have a name. We didn't call it hip-hop in the 70s. It was just excitement. It was like, it was like this world that was, like I remember being at a party. Our crew did a party and I just remember sitting there and saying, no place in the world they're doing what we're doing. I remember thinking that it was at the promenade and our DJ was cutting these records. It was like a little house party. It was like, nobody around the world is doing this. This is what we're doing. And, and, and I was wondering, like, I wonder what would happen if we were in another place, if we went down to D.C. and we showed them what we were doing, or if we went to Virginia and we showed them what we were doing, or we went up to Connecticut and we showed them what we were doing. I wonder if they would like this. It was, you know, I just say excitement, a world of possibilities, satisfaction, Joy, all those things is what I felt at the time. You know, that was a very, 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 very special time. All right, let's wrap this. 
When I think back about OJs and riding OJs, it's a time that's always going to be special to me because it's connected to hip-hop on such a level beyond just being in a luxury car. It's how that car helped to propel uh, the knowledge and the understanding of hip-hop and, and the sound of hip-hop. Prior to that, hip-hop was live. You had to be there. You had to physically be there to really know or experience hip-hop. But with these cassette tapes circulating through the cars, more people got to uh, listen to what hip-hop was, to what hip-hop is, and uh, became enamored by it, which is now a worldwide industry. And uh, OJ has a... Uh, they can say that they had a lot to do with that. When I was a kid... I never aspired to be rich. I aspired to be famous. And jumping out of an OJ car with that tape banging in the background made me feel famous. So you could send a car to somebody, you know, your shorty or something, be like, yo, it's the Blue Lincoln going to be outside D.C., car 98, and uh, it's going to have that cold crush tape banging inside of it, all right, when you hop in. <laughs> Make sure you roll with the windows down. <laughs> This is the origins of hip-hop, and we out. This episode is hosted by yours truly, Grandmaster Kaz. Produced, written, and edited by Bennett Barbaco. Produced and edited by Rob Armjar. Written and produced by Clay Seneschal. Our associate producer is the lovely Emma Damakosh. And executive produced by Bennett Barbaco and Larry Adam. And for A&E, this episode was also produced by Aisha Jordan. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn. And executive producer is Jesse Katz. And don't miss the Origins of Hip Hop television show featuring artists like Fat Joe, Ice-T, Eve, Ja Rule, and many more. Premiering May 30th at 10-9 Central, only on A&E. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.